Uh, so I'm Serena Chalker and I'm one half of Anything Is Valid Dance Theatre. Okay, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Yes. 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 Awesome. Uh, so let's start with what is happening or what is about to happen. What are you doing? Or what are you thinking about? Or what are you using Anything Is Valid Dance Theatre as a, a, a leverage or an institution or a platform for... Well, this is actually our 10-year anniversary, believe it or not. I know. 2008. 2008, August, in fact, we became an official uh, business with a business name and everything. Well, ABN and shit. Oh, yeah, ABN, (laughs) you know, third years, we were totally keen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes? Um, Yes, so uh, I would like to think that we've matured a little bit since then, Mm. Um, but we're currently about to uh, present our new work, Dust on the Shortbread, as part of the Move Me Festival in Perth. And is is there? Can you tell me the context around Perth and why Perth? Um, well, I went to Perth uh, in two thousand and six to go to Whopper, yeah. and purely by virtue of the fact that actually I didn't get in anywhere else. Oh. Um, I didn't get into Whopper, so oh, there you go. There you go. I think it honestly just depends on it's the luck, day. Isn't it's it? totally <laughs> luck. It's like which of your muscles cramp during the solo at which place. And the, yeah. Yep. Yep. And actually that was funny because I actually auditioned for the dip course. Right. I didn't even audition for the BA, but Nan was like, so I didn't have to do the solo. So I was oh. operating the music for everybody else's solos. Right. And then I got a letter of offer and it said, oh, you know, like, congrats, you're into the BA. And I was like, well, this is a mistake. <laughs> but Nan you operated the music so well. <laughs> yeah. I think that must have been it. Uh, no, I just wrote a very convincing argument about why I wanted to go to Whopper. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I don't know what it was, but it must have been good. <laughs> Nanette was impressed. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, so that was, that was why. Um, but also back in the day in yeah, Perth. Uh, in 2008. Back in the day, even before that, 2006, the audience for dance was super small. Yeah. And I feel like you kind of almost knew everyone in the audience. Yeah. I think it's just what was kind of happening at the time. And it was like the scene in Perth was kind of just about to kick off. Mm. But we were kind of having this thought about, I feel like more people would like dance if they just saw it outside, not in a theatre. Yes. Well, if they yeah, just experienced it. Upon it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as overly enthusiastic second years, you mm. know, we started this series of group improvisations in Perth. That's cool. Um, and thanks to the great Olivia Millard, who gave us our name because she was always saying in improv class, anything is valid, anything mm-hmm. is valid. We were like, oh, my God, that's a really great name. And then several people after that pointed out, including Joe Pollitt, anything is valid, but not everything is good. And we are like, that's also a good point. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so, um, so that was why Perth. And then I guess, like, Quinn and I kind of clicked quite well at Whopper. You know, she's pretty quirky and I've I've been told that I'm also an acquired taste so <laughs> yeah well you know we we just somehow there was like a really good synergy there and we were like hey you know this like random thing that we've been doing for the last two years maybe we should actually try and do this when we graduate awesome yeah so you know here we are 10 years later we must have done something vaguely okay <laughs> and what are you 
what are you doing in the piece? It's how many weeks away? Um, it opens on the 11th of September. Okay. So we're actually not performing. We're actually directing. Mm-hmm. So um, Elizabeth Cameron Dalman, who mm-hmm. was founder of Australian Dance Theatre, and mm-hmm. George Shefsoff, who's an actor in Perth, and it's like one of those kind of institution actors. If you're in Perth, you know who George is. Yeah. Um, so they're actually performing the work. And Tristan Parr composed the music for us. And the work is looking at, uh, I guess, memory and its effect on your identity and relationships through the lens of dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm. So, I mean, it was really... Actually, this project, like, initially came from Quinn's interest. Um and I'm glad that she kept pushing because at the time, like, my dad also had dementia and I was like, oh, it's too close. I don't want to touch that. Mm. Um, but then you had to anyway through life. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was after, I mean, you know, he's passed away now, but, you know, and it was, and it was after that period. But there was something in the way that she kind of articulated. She was like, yeah, you know, like, I'm interested in this and this. I can't quite remember what exactly yeah. she said, but... Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I can see how that could work. And I mm. could think, I think that that's kind of an important thing to look at. And, you know, we're a site, site-specific company. We've mm. always worked not in a theatre. And the idea of looking at how uh, dementia and memory has an effect in the home and mm. in, in a couple was a really nice kind of synergy because you know sometimes you see shows like this and it's on a stage and you know it might be really nice I've seen it done really well of course you know the father great theatre example but I think there's something that's different when people are in their in their natural or semi-natural environment I mean Mm. it's not their house but um and the fact that you're so close to the performers Mm. and I think that there's something about site-specific work that can kind of break through barriers that can be a little bit more difficult in a theatre when you're sitting in the dark and you're removed from the stage. Yeah. I kind of like the immediacy of site-specific work. Yeah, it's yeah. like um, they talk about the anonymity that the internet gives you and how much of an arsehole that makes everybody in the yes. comments. And then also the same... Removal that a piece of glass gives you if you're driving, and suddenly road rage. Yes, is this thing that you would never do if you just had to wait behind someone on the street. But if you're waiting in a car, and then the theatre also can do that, where they they on the stage remain the other. Yeah, or if, for example, like in a punch drunk work, you're wearing a mask. Mm. The mask gives the audience permission to be totally horrible to each other and the performers. Which is a whole other topic for another day. But was that behind the, like masquerade balls? Was that the idea there, or was that like promiscuity? To be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know either. But I was hanging out to Washington the other day, and I, I wondered like maybe it was that there was such strict rules around who could talk to who because of prestige that the masquerade yeah, ball probably. allowed that to like it gave you an out. I just made it up. You know when you don't know something, so you just guess? That's quite (laughs) convincing. And I think the thing about Masquerade is that, I mean, everyone knows who's behind the mask. Like, they usually have these masks that only cover half of your face. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really just an excuse. Oh, I didn't know who it was. Oh, you totally did the the whole time. The alcohol bottle in the brown paper bag. Yeah. Everyone knows what it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a way of pretending. But I mean, we don't have any masks or okay. duck or you know anything. Okay. You can't pretend. Which is which is hard for them, and I think in a way it's also hard for the performers, for the, for the audience, for, the perf- for both. Yeah, it's it's a big ask for performers. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but I think it's also uh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's also a a big ask for the audience because it is a challenging topic, mm. and you know we didn't. It, I mean, it's also a tricky topic. We didn't want to kind of shy away and just kind of do a rose-coloured glasses just looking at nostalgia mm. through that vein. But at the same time, I think we were kind of both aware that also you can't just present symptoms on stage because what's the point, you know? There has to be a reason why you want to make this kind of work about a topic yeah. that is kind of quite sensitive, especially to people who have experienced it. And is that the the human... Fallout, or the relationship fallout, or the suffering, or like what is? It's like the symptom of the symptoms. Yeah. Somehow the social symptoms of the medical symptoms. I think it's a few things. Partly, you know, as a society, we're not very good at showing or kind of putting a light on our older population. You know, we like to kind of hide them away a little bit. You know, if they get too difficult, you know, you put them in an aged care home. You know, conceptually, you respect your elders, but logistically, they're inconvenient. Yeah, yes. I think I think that's the general kind of narrative, and yeah. you know, people. I think you know people know about dementia. It's one of the, you know, it's I think it's the second biggest killer now. Wow. I read somewhere that every three seconds, somewhere in the world, develops dementia. And animals as well, right? Yeah, animals as well. Um, I've seen a few things about, like, dogs and cats. Mm, I had a mate that had to put his dog down because it just got to a stage where... That's sad. Yeah, and the argument was, are you keeping the dog alive for its life, quality of life, or for you to hang on to its quality of life? Yeah, that's really tricky. It's really tricky when you're dealing with, uh, you know... I mean, of course, animals think, but, you know, not in in the same way. They don't articulate it in the same way. No. Although my husky likes to articulate, but I keep <laughs> yes. telling her, you know, you've been in Australia so long, you have to learn to speak English. I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so partly, you know, as a society, we like to kind of, well, not we like, but it's more convenient kind of not to look at things that are tricky. And also, it's because it happens later in life. That's it. And it's like this fear that we're all going to end up there and we don't want to face that. Yeah. It's, it's scary and, you know, also we don't really know how to deal with it well mm. yet. And the other cultures? Have you found that different mm. cultures approach it differently? I or did people just used to die before they got dementia? I think they just... Well, I think people... Because the thing is that technically dementia is not part of healthy ageing. So, this idea that everyone just gets old and forgets and gets dementia and that's an inevitability, that's not actually true. Mm. I think partly it's a symptom of the fact that we are living a lot longer than we used Mm. to, but I think that there's also a whole heap of environmental factors Mm. that go into that. So, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, back in the day, people lived to maybe 50 if you're lucky. So, Mm. you know, it's much less common to develop that unless you had early onset 
but also that people just say, oh, they're just old, you know. And I wonder if it was that the world changed slower. And so if if you got into a routine when you were 40 or 50... Mm. And that you, you, the world would let you stay in that routine mm. until eighty or ninety. Yeah, and that's not the case anymore. No, it's definitely not the case. Like you can tap onto the tram with your Mastercard now. Yeah. <laughs> Although you don't get the um, discounted no. ride at the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <sighs> but there's like an exercise that your brain has to undergo for its plasticity to. Mm speak with people who yeah for sure are different to you and if we do that less yeah well one yeah. of the things you know about um you know people getting dementia and of course like it's important to say that everyone's experience of dementia is different and there's mm. not one dementia there's you know five or six different types of dementia right. and they produce different kinds of symptoms mm. in and people I imagine that's exacerbated based on what relationships were set up already yeah absolutely and power structures and absolutely and you know the ability to I guess kind of relate to other people also becomes more challenging so yeah. um, I was at I presented at the dementia partnership project symposium in Perth last year uh, like a, a talk uh, it was partly talk, partly kind of demonstration. I did some training a few years ago with people dancing in the UK about mm-hmm. dance for dementia. Mm. So there's a lot of research or there's, there is research and there's kind of continuously more research coming out showing how good dance is for the brain. Any? Any. Any dance frequent, or dance to music? or Frequent dancing. Okay. Dance to music also helps. Dance where you have to improvise also helps. Oh, Yeah, so improvisation, good for the brain. Um, But there was a guy there who, uh, he spoke about the experience of his wife getting dementia. And it was Mm. super sad. But he said that the first thing that he noticed was the apathy. Mm. That was absolutely the very first thing that happened in their relationship. And he felt rejected because she was not able to relate to him in the way that she could before. Mm. And I think... Partly it's also, this is what's also kind of interesting to us is, because it's not just about dementia, you know, it's also about memory, but looking at, you know, if you, in a way, you're able to continue in your life because you know where you've been. So you have this store of memories and experiences, and if you're in a relationship, they're shared a lot, you know, with someone. And if you start to kind of lose those building blocks of that kind of shared history how do you continue to move forward Mm. is it possible to move forward like what is the kind of renegotiation that has to happen in that new space Mm. yeah i i want to focus on dancing yes (laughs) yes and what what dancing can do not to solve anything, but for you as someone who's thinking about all of these things and exposing yourself to all of the um, personal experiences and scientific literature, and then you dance. Yes. Or like, how, we can don't you make, dance, make that connection yes. for me? Um, so, I think in on one level, what's mm. kind of interesting is that because there's all of this research around dance for dementia Mm. that the medium of exploring the subject matter is also potentially a medium to help 
A, mm. prevent it, and B, also relieve the quality of life mm. for people who have dementia. Um, but there's also something that, you know, everything we experience is lived in the body. Memories stored in the body as well. How we relate to space, you know, we are a site-specific company, you know, how we relate to our environment, how we relate to other people, it all mm. comes from the body. And often, at least in you know my experience, you know, with people with dementia, their ability to articulate and speak mm. diminishes. But often they will try and fill in the gaps with some kind of gesture or movement or something. Mm. And often movement can stay there after many things have gone. Mm. I remember, you know, there was one time when, you know, we were kind of visiting dad in nursing home and I think mum put on some music and then he just like got out of the bed and started like dancing around with mum, which, you know, he hadn't done. I mean, he was a musician, so, you know, there, there was that connection with the music there, but... You know, there's also a lot of uh, evidence that shows that older people through movement can, mm. f in a way, kind of find a way to keep moving and relating to people and also relating to being in the now, mm. which is interesting. You know, if you look at some of the um, news footage and, I mean, you know, we also taught some workshops, but they were more for seniors and less for people with more kind of advanced dementia. But there's a sense that the kind of fog lifts, mm. you know, briefly and that you're able through the body to bypass some of the connections that have been lost. So I guess that's in a way it's kind of interesting those two sides to us. That, that memory is so much in, in you mm. and then also that movement has that potential to take over where words can't. Yeah. And, and there's also a poetry about being a site-specific company and that memory takes up a specific site in the body or in the brain structure and that as those sites in the brain deteriorate and it results in this loss of self because of the narrative that we build through our memories, all that's left is the sites of the body that retain mm. the way that they've been shaped by the environment or by our experiences. And then that goes back into making... It's, it's doubly site-specific, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's true. I mean, you know... The body as a site is, you know, a very rich point of investigation. Mm. There's so much in there. And particularly if you're using bodies like Elizabeth Dalman mm. and George Shevsov, you know, they're older performers. They're, their bodies are hugely rich in information. Mm. And, I mean, of course it was a no-brainer for us to use senior performers for this work. I've seen sometimes works about dementia done with young people and I just don't hmm. find it It can resonate. happen with young people, no? Or not it can, really? yeah, yeah right. for sure. And does um, it manifest in the same way where the music still lifts the fog and things like that? I believe so. I don't, I don't have all the facts. Um, well, but that's all right. Yeah, I, I think that... I, th I mean, I think that the literature has more focused around 
and older population. Yeah. But, I mean, even when we're talking early onset Alzheimer's, often we're talking about people in their 50s. I mean, I know I do know some people who have got it as early as 35, which is really... That's a couple of years for me. Yeah, same. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. And then you start to think, well, oh, where did I life. leave my keys? <laughs> oh, no, it's already started. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so I'm also interested then about the power and the potential of performance in that it makes sense to to deal with and relate to this phenomena and its social ramifications physically in dance. Um, and I also am interested to hear about how you worked to build a show. I think... Uh, we we definitely it's not a, a linear narrative by any stretch of the imagination and I think that that is also necessarily a part of having dementia it's not a linear narrative it comes in pockets it circles around it dips down and comes back up again and I think that yeah what's interesting is that in a way, performance gives a space to look at some of those experiences and the ramifications of those experiences on another person that's in that's that maybe doesn't have dementia but is dealing with someone with dementia at a very close space. So you've, you know, and certainly we don't have any um, necessarily, you know, this person has dementia and this one doesn't. It it definitely is a kind of fluctuating situation throughout the show. Mm. But I think that, uh, yeah, the performance gives us a space to to look at some of those issues and in a in a slightly abstract way, but in a way that maybe it's not it's not that it's easier because it's definitely not easy. Making the show was not easy at all. Um, but it gives you it gives you a little bit of a kind of poetic license in interpretation to allow like feelings to kind of settle, which also is something in in dementia that you know I mean that's what's left really is how people feel from one day to another, and you know the important thing is that if you have a loved one with dementia to just take it as it comes and to try and connect with how they're feeling, which might be good or bad or whatever. But, yeah, so so that gives that kind of abstracted space to, to look at things like that. So it's duly that I would, if, if I was in the audience, I would get to see these things unfolding. But at the same time, I might experience these pockets of events in 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 the same nonlinear fashion. Yeah, I think it's it's something that you know there are there are moments where um, that are also quite funny in the show that kind of come out of a very abstracted place. And you think, oh my god, how did they get there? But I mean, that's also part of life. You think, mm. like, how where did how does your thought process? Oh, okay, never mind. We're just let's just go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that it's um, it's an experience that kind of unfolds in a way. 
it it doesn't I don't know what, what's the best way to describe this the the way that George and Liz relate to each other the way that they relate to the audience there's a definite trajectory but there's also a kind of blurring of their experience of their relationship to each other of their relationship to the audience whether they are really present or not present that's that starts you know reasonably subtle but i think that you you kind mm. of start to we we talk a lot about feeling the thread unravel that's that's a kind of point of investigation that's come for us, you know, a few times throughout the throughout the work. So is that like a? It sounds like the choreography is working on many levels. Whereas, um, I might know that my my blocking choreography is to move from here to there after this cue, but I also know that what needs to happen in that moment is that I need to go from being here to not being here anymore, and that that's part of what you choreograph into the the thread unraveling. I think the what we were really interested in, in a way, is I guess rather than to kind of act something, mm. uh, is what are the kind of tasks or explorations that we can do together to produce that feeling mm. without having to try and present it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, to yeah. present it. And what were those? Um, so there's... The, the idea of like layering different spaces mm. onto the space that you're currently working in um, there's one there's one section where they are physically describing their own rooms but in relationship to the room that they're in mm. or or retracing their pathways but the specific instruction is to think about how did you get here this morning yes so that, that that often there's a kind of two things going on in in the instruction that can also like produce there's a kind of thinking physicality that is different to when you're necessarily like I know what this is and so you know we've we've also been quite clear to say you know all right now when you when you're doing this like we really want you to be like on that journey to come to come to this space you know if they're wandering around or if they're thinking about another space to really visualise that other space and feel it and feel it as if it's really here right now. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, there are, and, you know, there are other, we've tried to come, we've tried to come at it from an oblique, like, side, side perspective to, to avoid this presentational, yes. presentational thing. And uh, layering and layering and then unraveling these kind of ideas in relationship to each other and the space and how they interact. Did the performers have any personal experience with themselves having things like being worried about their own dementia or being worried about their own forgetfulness? Or? Um. Not like they, I think that, you know, they've both known, you know, some people, you know, in their families. But I mean, if anyone's ever met Elizabeth Dalman, she is like so onto it. She's sharp, isn't she? She is so sharp. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah. 
she, which just goes to show, you know, dancing body. Yeah. Yep. Does does wonders. Hmm. But yeah, no. It, so it wasn't necessarily from from in that way. But I think that there is also a kind of consciousness that we are making a work about often, you know, people in later stages of their life. And, you know, a lot of the time when we have been developing work, we've also drawn on their personal memories. So we've got this kind of blending of their yeah. histories yeah. into the work. Yeah. It's, they, they it's them, come, but not them. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they come to be involved in the piece as a resource, not just for their performance ability, but for yeah. their life experience that you haven't yet had enough time to have. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what's then what's the, your for all the effort that goes into making and assembling and understanding and sharing and then reconsidering what it is that you thought you knew, what is your biggest hope? For the work? Yeah, I guess. For the for well, for all the effort that's surrounding it as well. Like. Yes. <laughs> yes, all the effort that's surrounded <laughs> it. Um I think Ultimately, you know, we want people oh, – it's, it's tricky because I think, you know, it's not going to – it's never going to be one of those works where you come out and you go, oh, yes, I feel really, you know, <laughs> invigorated. Oh, wow, that was, you know. Yeah, and I imagine there's no resolve either. No, and I think that's important. And it's important in the work. It's been important in our process. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people do come out and feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. I think we couldn't avoid that. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, what I always say is, you know, whenever I make work also by myself, my ideal situation is if people feel like they have to go away by themselves for half an hour and just Mm. have a think. Mm. I feel like this also applies in this situation. Which is good because the more that we think about, you know, what is this? What could this be? What does that mean? Is there something in my life? How am I going to deal with it as well? Yeah. What is the government doing about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it kind of gives a, a space for us to think about those things. Yeah, and formulate a position. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Can we talk a little bit about some of the show mm-hmm. attributes, like the sound composition or the costume design or things mm-hmm. like that, and what the people working on those, what you made sure that they knew before you let them go and do their skill of deciding on those things? So we've worked with Tristan quite a bit in the past. Well, he's a legend. He is a legend. And he works real quick. He does. <laughs> he does. Actually, um, we, we first worked with him on a show called Unexpected Microclimates and I'm pretty sure he pulled together the score in 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, that's our man. But actually, it's been really um, important for us that he's been actually been with us right from the beginning mm. and he's been in the space because, you know, it's also been about a mix of, like, live sounds in the space, localised sound. The sound is so much a part of the show that we couldn't go away and say okay well we make a work now could you please make the sound so he's definitely been in it from the start Mm -hmm. and it also provides you know us with another perspective 
as and well. And is there just a left and right speaker or has he tried to do something with like specific are oh, there sound effects? Or there's there lots just... of fun things okay. going on in the show. It's definitely not just your standard okay. stereo okay. experience. But I think that's also part of the fact that it's in a house, right? So yes. you you can't just replicate the experience of just being in a theatre. No. You have to think about why is the sound here? Yeah. Where is the sound coming from? Why is there sound happening at this point? Yeah. What do the performers do that could make sound and how could that sound be amplified? And then even not what is... Yeah, not what is the sound, but what is the sound doing to me? Exactly. <laughs> and do I want it to do that right now? Yeah, for sure. So there are some times... I mean, you know, there's also times where there is, like, less, less sound happening because also, you know, the performers do speak in the show mm. we could hardly not do that especially since we've got George <laughs> but yeah I think that you know when can the sound indicate presence or absence when can the sound uh, provide another layer of experience in the show mm. and yeah just I think how can we how can we use what's already happening in the space and take that to the next level from a sound perspective mm. using, you know, contact mics or, you know, radios or, you know, all those kind of things that and, – and also just the sound of them being in a house, you know, moving things around, setting the table, that's all in there. Now, is the table only ever set with, like – Knives and forks, or there are there other chopsticks or anything like that? I only ask because my mum is of the generation which did not learn to use chopsticks in Australia, mm. and I am of the generation where I have chopsticks. Yes, in, me too. My, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like at the moment, dementia sufferers are of that age, but when we are that age, yes, then setting the table is going to look different. It is, but also I think, uh, you know, we. I think we also f forget, in a way, which is a bit stupid, that, mm. of course, people in diverse communities in Australia also get dementia. So, yeah. just because, you know, maybe our parents' experience is not using chopsticks, there mm. are also people whose grandparents mm. are here, who were born here, yeah. or who came over, mm. who do use chopsticks. I mean, I think that's, that's important to remember. I mean, no, Liz and George don't use chopsticks although they do have they have traveled a lot but we didn't we couldn't make the chopsticks work from a dramaturgical point of view yeah it's one of those things where you're speaking not on behalf of a a minority group that is designated by anything but the symptoms of mm. the illness and then i'm interested to hear how you considered letting the the piece and the investigation be a voice or a resource for uh, all of those people? I think the experience of not being able to move forward with your life in the way mm. that you have with completely taking it for granted is universal. Mm. And, you know, it just – like the, the, the casting – happened a little bit deliberately and a little bit by accident and so in a way we work with the performers that we've got yes. but 
so of course you know there's there's no point in trying to impose something that's not no, there. No, they have their own histories exactly. and that's the resource that you're pulling from. And it's such a rich history. Yeah. But I think I think it's definitely something that is the experiences are universal, you know, even though there is so much uh, variation in what happens. The I mean also also from a family member perspective, you no, know, because we're not just talking about people who have dementia it, it it affects everyone in their life mm. your children your partner mm. your employer you know because of course yeah some people are still at work when this happens especially because we're working longer now mm. and i guess you know what is i hope relatable is that the kind of basic human experience the human experience of being being in a place and being with someone and what happens when how do you, I guess how do you how do you navigate the relationship between you and it might not even be your partner you know it might be your might be your daughter or your son that's caring for you in this case it's it's a couple but I think that the the there's a level of similarity in in what happens there and so you can no longer take for granted the fact that we both have this shared understanding mm. and how how do we navigate around that point of friction because of course it's also incredibly frustrating yeah because you think you like you spend long enough with someone that you know what they know and what yeah. they don't know and then you keep a log of that and when you're taking them somewhere they've never been ice skating or whatever you take extra uh, consideration and when you take them somewhere they've always been supermarket shopping yep. you don't walk them through how to check out but then and they and I imagine they they know it some days and then don't know it some other days yeah I guess I, guess, I mean obviously yeah everyone's everyone's experience is completely different and people develop different strategies for mm. coping uh, at the um, symposium last year the keynote speaker was a woman who had younger onset Alzheimer's Mm. and she was talking about her methods of coping because she's still at home and she she still cooks and her her method of cooking is that she draws a line down the middle of the bench and all the ingredients that she hasn't used go on the left Mm. and then she puts it in and then they have to move to the right side of the bench because if they just all go in the same pile then you add the salt 12 times yes or when she goes somewhere new she takes photos looking backwards with her phone. So yeah. when she goes back to her car or back ah. to her home, yeah. she can look through her phone and she sees the pictures as as you would see yeah. them. So you On can go, oh, back. yes, I recognise that sign. Mm. I mean, of course, that doesn't work for everyone. No. And do the things like this, tactics and that, make it into the show? Or they were just talking points for the development? They they are there and they aren't there. Mm. It's not like we're not trying to provide a manual no. for, you know, how to survive dementia 101. No. Because, I mean, where would you even start? Yeah. And hopefully, you know, we're not trying to just say, here it is, it's all doom and gloom. But that, you know, this is this is a human experience and... And I guess, yeah, I guess it's more up to the 
audience in a way to ponder the question of, oh, like, what would I, what do I do in that situation? Yeah. How do I get around that? I might see, I might see something, but, you know, is that, is that my experience or, yeah, just to raise the questions, I think, is important. Yeah, I like that idea that one of the best things that the show can do is um, give someone a space to think about what they would do. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) We've been working on it long enough. I hope it works. (laughs) Um, Anything that I haven't asked you that you want to add? Um, I haven't asked. I mean, you know, I think it's just... uh, the other thing, of course, it's only 15 audience per show. Mm. You know, it is in a small house and it's a small audience. It's like a Christmas lunch. It is. Yeah. It is. It's bigger than my Christmas lunch because <laughs> I've only got two people in my family. But, you know, <laughs> some, some, people, some people's Christmas lunch. So, it's an, it's an intimate experience and it's, it is going to be, you know, slightly different depending on what night you came, where you chose to sit or stand, what happens, you know. It's definitely not something that you're going to come in and hide in the corner, but I don't want people to feel like that's a scary thing. You know how people get turned off by, oh, no, there's going to be audience interaction, they're going to make me stand up and do something. I think it's difficult dealing with an audience in a kind of close environment like that to make them feel comfortable and supported but then see you know how can we kind of challenge that notion of being supported in a supportive way yes (laughs) the perennial problem of audiences like you want you want slight discomfort that would cause growth and new thoughts but without pain yeah yeah Or, or not to at least not to a point where people switch off yes i mean i think it's i think in this environment I'd like to hope anyway. It's very difficult to switch off, particularly with them and with mm. the experience and with, you know, they've been working in that house for a while now and, you know, it, it does start to feel like their house. Mm. And actually it's funny because uh, Emily Stoko is doing our production design and she was asking for photos of Liz and George's houses and they sent them through and I was like, oh, actually quite similar in style that's really funny and also on the very first day of rehearsal they turned up they'd never met each other before they mm. turned up wearing almost matching clothes cute. it was so cute I, I had that like little butterfly flutter mm-hmm. moment going mm-hmm. oh it's really gonna work <laughs> of course it's been very hard you know since then to get everything in the right spot uh, not really hard but you know just because you have that flutter at the middle, you still have to do all the hard yards. Yes. To get there, that's not a guarantee of success. No. But, yeah, so I think, yeah, hopefully the experience is something that also stays with you. It's the only two times that Move Me Festival has presented a site-specific work was us, both times. Wow. <laughs> the first one in the caravan and this one in the house. Um, yeah, so I guess... You know, we hope that people take the chance. Yes. Liz never performs in WA, so that's a huge thing mm. for audiences. And it's been super lovely working with such generous performers. Mm. They've really c- 
become very open because it's quite different material for both of them. Mm. We work in quite specific ways. Often we work in quite open ways because we both improvise a lot, so we might give a task that is quite open and refine it but never say, okay, you're going to kick your leg here and put your arm down here. So they've been super generous and, yeah, willing to adapt to our crazy ways of working, which has been great. Okay, uh, then just, I guess, a a website or wherever people can actually go and see the thing and organise it and tell other people about it. Yes, so um, the it runs from September 11 to September 22 as part of the Move Me Festival. So there's a Move Me website, which I think is moveme.org.au, where you can buy tickets to all the shows. But obviously buy tickets to ours first because it's a limited audience. It's very important. Um, or you can check out our website, um, aivdt.com. AIVDT. Yes, for Anything is Valid Dance Theatre. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. It's a nice chat.